Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Morning, welcome to Money and Me. Global investors have been increasingly choosing to bypass China's markets. This in favor of other emerging countries. I also heard this in my interview with Pictay not too long ago, um, how emerging economies seem to be gaining traction from the geopolitical and growth risks that seem to be hovering around the world's second biggest economy. A Reuters analysis showing a huge jump in the assets of emerging market mutual funds and ETFs that exclude China as you U.S. and European investors turn a little wary of being exposed to the Asian uh, Chinese giant. And of course, you know, recent news of the dramatic ouster of Jingang, underscoring for many the uncertainty uh, given China's political system. So we're going to take a look at Chinese equities today. Um, also in the context, bearing in mind that China's CCP has issued a joint pledge along with the government to improve conditions for private businesses, trying to put out that signal that Beijing wants to bolster corporate confidence even as economic growth comes in as less than expected post-COVID. And then we'll take a look at AI um, and those earnings of Microsoft and Alphabet and ask what that shows uh, about the commercialization of AI. We know that AI um, may be more of a long-term strategy for these companies, but we'll take a closer look at what those earnings um, seem to indicate so far. And can we ever go a day without talking about Elon Musk? I'm not sure. Uh, Some say that he's just wiped out 15 years of branding, deciding to change Twitter's name to X. Others say, well, let's take a listen to the man himself. He says it's not just rebranding. It's not just a name change. And he plans for X to conduct your entire financial world. That's what he intends for X. Wonderful. Let's hear more about what Arun Pai thinks about markets and how they're shaping up. Good morning, Arun. Good morning, Michelle. Great to speak with you. So in December, Beijing said it would go all out in this year to save its COVID-hit economy. And just last week, we heard China make promises to break down barriers to market access for private firms. A lot of people have said that this is absolutely essential, uh, treating private companies the same as state-owned enterprises. And so looking at that joint statement, but also in the context of, you know, yesterday's news of uh, Jin Gang being replaced by his predecessor, let me, let me first start by asking you, do you think China's stepping up of support for private sectors could lead to a rally in Chinese equities? Yeah, so given what the, the macroeconomic headwinds that uh, China is facing for a whole host of reasons, from uh, the property bubble collapsing a couple of years ago to global inflation to obviously the US-China trade war, things have been very, very difficult to say the least, uh, and COVID obviously, things have been very, very difficult to say the least for the world's second largest economy, right? And I think expectations were kind of setting, or, or there was a hope that there would be some kind of a bazooka stimulus package announcement, similar to what, uh, you know, more of the Western governments did post the global financial crisis, post uh, Q1 of uh, 2020, when uh, post like the COVID hit, that did not materialize. So while, you know, the initial statement came out saying that the Politburo would be coming out with something, there was a nice little market rally with the expectation or hope that things would go, that the government would really bump up the stimulus package. 
that actually did not materialize. And then we saw a bit of a correction in the market. I think the fundamental thing is, I mean, taking a step back, right, China, the, the key to successfully investing in the country, yeah. other than what investors are obviously used to in other parts of the world, you know, you have value investors, you have momentum traders, et cetera, et cetera. Over here, it's have a very keen pulse on government affairs. And, you know, I've said this before, like what the CCP wants, the CCP gets. Mm-hmm. But I think in this specific case, they're very, they want to be very careful uh, wherein previously they just used to open up the debt funding spigots and let provincial governments, uh, smaller subsidiaries, state-owned enterprises just issue basically unlimited debt to just feed, like bumping as much credit as you can in the economy and the economy will do okay. Given where inflation is, they can't do that anymore. So that's a big lever which the government does not have at its disposal uh, to try to prop up growth. So I think what they're trying to do is take a much more measured approach. Uh, They came out with statements and, you know, you can go into like nuances of uh, what President Xi was saying, apparently for the first time since 2019. So for like the last four years, Mm. he always made the statement that houses are for living, not for speculation. Mm -hmm. And for the first time, that statement was not made. Right. So it's kind of giving indications subtly and softly that the government is at least not going to be clamping down as hard as it was in the past, especially in the property segment. And we all know, given what happened in the global financial crisis, property is one of the largest sectors of the economy. And that's been tipped as a sector in China, property, real estate, as greatest in need of aid. Um, So some indications there that property will be made a focus, do you think? It has to. I mean, there's no way that the country can come out of the state that it's in right now unless the property sector is kind of cleaned up. It's too many people involved, way too much money, especially for locals, right? And in Asia specifically, where people have this pension to invest into property, to own property, to live in your own house, there's just too much reliance on that sector right now. So I don't think it's going to be like this huge spike up because Mm. I think the government is going to be very careful to ensure that it doesn't do what it kind of did in the past, like 15, 20 years to let this bubble run amok. But uh, naturally, that's going to be one sector that's probably not going to be as beaten down as it has been. So at least the floor will be set by the government to some extent. That would be one sector that I would be carefully uh, keeping a close uh, watch on. I'm sorry, which sector was that? The property side. Property, yes. more, More from the floor perspective, right? Not necessarily from oh, wow, this is going to be an extremely hot sector to pump money in, hoping Mm. for short-term results. I I don't think you're going to get that, and I don't think that's the right way to try to bring the property sector in China onto the right path. That being said, though, I I think that's on the property side. I think the sector that's actually most interesting to me is tech. And this might be a little bit of a more controversial thing, especially given how, you know, Huawei has been like lopped off from uh, uh, various underlying semiconductor equipment and everything else. Not necessarily on the hardware space, but on the software space. I think that's something that's still very, very interesting. I think the amount of brilliant engineers, software scientists that are employed by the likes of Baidu, Tencent, Alibaba, uh, the the tech is truly fascinating. Uh, They're figuring out go-to-market strategies internationally. And I think the shares are uh, yielding at such attractive multiples and valuations. Personally, I do feel that the tech sector is something that's uh, ripe for a, a nice leg up in the near future. So, ye, 
nice leg up. Um, I, I just have to also then ask about how far do you think the tech sector could be allowed to, it's hard to say, isn't it? How far the tech sector could have the leeway so these brains in uh, companies like you just mentioned, the software companies, um, can run wild, so to speak. Um, how confident are you that the tech sector, I suppose, will reach the sort of highs we were seeing before the tech clampdown? Yeah, great question, right? But I don't think there is any other option out for China, though, mm. to be honest. Like, you, you know, given the state of the economy and where the country is in right now, and you know that the trade wars, specifically on the manufacturing side, it's not going to be turned around anytime soon, right? Regardless of who comes into power uh, next year in the U.S. elections, we saw what Trump did uh, three years ago. Biden has just doubled down on that even more. It's kind of become like table stakes for be a Democrat or Republican. Whoever comes into power, they kind of have to adopt a some semi-anti-China policy to appease their voter base. So we know that that's not going to go away anytime soon. What else is going to be left, right? Like your local Cost manufacturing has already been shifted out to some extent to uh, the likes of Vietnam, Mexico, etc. India has gotten a nice little boost because a lot more uh, foreign investment is now going into that country because China is obviously not possible. India is potentially going to be the third largest economy in like say five, ten years. So a lot of money has gone over there. The only way out for China now is to continue to double down on their productivity enhancement, which is primarily driven by technology. So we kind of We've already started to see the toying of that. I mean, if you look at uh, Ant Group, they're going to be listing hopefully very soon in the next couple of months, I believe. Mm. Alibaba, like, you know, you can at least visually or physically, you can kind of see Jack Ma popping up in a couple of different places right now. All of these things, I think, are just enabling or like ensuring that the government let tech have, you know, spread out its wings a little bit more. To answer your question directly, do I think it's going to go back to the complete crazy heydays of <laughs> what it was a couple of years ago? Absolutely not, right? But then again, I think the entire tech sector itself was in a bubble. It wasn't just China across the board, right? I mean, if you looked at U.S. and now obviously U.S. for rightful reasons because of actual underlying revenue growth and valuation has gone back up. I, I think the, che the China tech sector is lagging behind quite substantially. And obviously for more macro headwinds from the U.S.-China trade war perspective, but I think underlying business trends is actually quite strong. So there is a certain amount of uh, room to uh, rally from here. All right. I have to ask you very briefly what you think about Foreign Minister Jin Gang being removed from his post and replaced by his predecessor Wang Yi. No reason was given for the move. I mean, this man had been handpicked by Xi Jinping to be the foreign minister late last year. He's a fluent English speaker, savvy political operator. Um, we were just talking about his impact in ESG in China just a couple of days ago on this very station with senior reporter from Bloomberg. Um, but what do you think about Jinggang's removal and how could it affect the Chinese economy? Do you think it's really limited because all these policy decisions essentially come from the top? Yes and no. I, I mean, firstly, welcome to China, right? <laughs> this is kind of what you have to expect, honestly, in uh, the, the way the government is run. And there's nothing right or wrong about it, I would say. It works for the country. And I mean, to get things into perspective, uh, it's truly been an economic miracle as to what's happened in China over the past 50 years, right? I, I don't think we've ever seen any country 
small or definitely not as large as China, have this kind of economic growth and creating such a massive middle class. Coming to right now, though, getting more granular, uh, it is a, whenever there's any kind of instability, it is a fundamental issue, especially when you had a person who was mostly liked, I would say, by people. Uh, the external parties. And if I'm like a multi-billion dollar fund manager sitting out of uh, Minnesota or somewhere in the U.S., and I'm seeing all of these continuous negative headline news, the U.S. government kind of doesn't want me to invest in there. Uh, China politics itself is going through a little bit of an upheaval. I mean, we saw even in the last uh, uh, five-year meeting, uh, there were other political issues that took place at that point of time, ejecting a person out of the uh, hall, etc., it's all leading to uncertainty, and uncertainty immediately means, specifically for the more shorter-term financial investor, get out, take a big pause, reassess, and see what happens, and then decide on where you want to place your bet. So sadly, from all of that perspective, like you were mentioning in the beginning, right? I mean, if you look at the numbers, China-focused mutual funds had an outflow of close to 700 million U.S in the second quarter of this year. And that's in contrast to nearly a billion dollars going into uh, emerging markets, ex-China funds. So naturally, any kind of instability, money comes out of that country and money's going to get pushed into anywhere else. Capital's going to find the best place to invest. And sadly, China's not doing itself any favors by increasing the uncertainty around its political bench. Capital is going to find the best place to invest. Love that. So, you know, people were looking to see where the money was when it came to Microsoft and Alphabet because they are among the early leaders in publicly traded tech big guys who are promising AI tools. And people wanted to see, you know, since the AI fever has broken out, what would it mean for Microsoft and Alphabet? I think it's really interesting that we saw ChatGPT rise amidst this whole landscape where we were seeing tech layoffs and people were hoping this would mean a new AI dawn. Um, Do you think AI enthusiasm has lifted Microsoft and Alphabet significantly? I think underlying profitability and revenue growth has truly lifted these stocks. (laughs) Fundamentals are good. (laughs) It's not just good, Michelle. It's unbelievable. I I mean, the four tech giants, I was reading a report, I think the four large tech giants accounted for close to 16% of the Fortune 500 earnings. Gosh. Right? Just look at these numbers, right? Alphabet, in this recent quarter, uh, I think it was close to $75 billion in revenue. And profitability, this is not just some, you know, tech, uh, random startup that's only purely showing top line growth, growth at any cost, no one cares about bottom line. $75 billion in revenue, profitability of close to a bit over $18 billion, right? And this is a company that uh, a lot of uh, research analysts have kind of written off. If you go back like six, nine months ago, they had laid off, I think, close to slightly more than 10,000 of their workers. But as, you know, Sundar Pichai continuously kept saying, we've always been an AI-first company for the past seven years. And they, in fact, created the base research, which uh, OpenAI guys leveraged off of to create ChatGPT. But when you're dealing with close to 2 billion people, if not more, on a daily basis to one of your multiple apps, you can't suddenly just throw in some untested technology, right? And that's always the advantage that newcomers are going to have, which is why we at Monksville invest into early stage startups, because you can try to move quickly, break things, disrupt things, etc. That's 
part and parcel of being a startup, whereas the incumbents have the advantage of distribution channels. But when it comes to such, like, you know, if, if you look at what generative AI, the entire space is done in the case of tech companies, Google Cloud, right, which is going to be a great beneficiary of this, it reported close to a 30% increase in sales to $8 billion. Uh, and for the first time, actually eked out a profit of close to about half a billion dollars also. Microsoft, numbers are staggering, right? Like close to $56 billion in revenue for the quarter. Profitability of $20 billion for the quarter. It, it's just amazing numbers. And sure, like some stocks like Google outdid its earnings. Stock popped quite a bit, uh, I think 5-6% uh, after their earnings. Facebook had a really good uh, quarter also where they saw a nice rebound in ad sales. Popped up quite a bit. Microsoft, which is the stalwart of AI, you know, coming to answer your question specifically, share price corrected a little bit. Mm. But, you know, this is a company that's gone up 50% year to date. And just a year, just uh, I think it was uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, they announced their whole office uh, co-pilot pricing point, which came up to like 30 US dollars per month, which was far above anything that analysts were expecting. So there was a nice pop-up of the share price over there. So there were a little bit of a mismatched expectations, I would say, uh, based on what Microsoft is expecting in terms of revenue from the uh, this generative AI, quote-unquote, vertical, you want to call it, for the next quarter. But make no mistake about it, right? These are some unbelievable businesses that are just generating so much profit right now. Mm. It's something the world has never seen before. Such kind of money printing machines. It's phenomenal to watch as a person who loves capitalism. (laughs) I can imagine the capitalist on the sidelines is thinking, this, look at this rally. It's powerful. It's amazing in 2023. But what does that mean for valuations? Is it bloated? Getting on the high side. I mean, sometimes, like, the market is mostly right most of the time, right? <laughs> and I, I think it's one of these cases where uh, I, I've been a big fan of Google for a very long time, right? A- am I selling out its share right now? No, I'm not. Because I still believe in the long-term prospects of the business. But is this going to be like a Facebook, I think that whose share price went up 160% this year, it's not going to be that because companies on amazing fundamentals naturally price uh, on the more expensive side, I would say, not exceptionally so. Mm-hmm. But look, it's a great business, right? And if a great business is not going to be accorded good multiples, then uh, the financial markets are doing something wrong over here. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from that perspective, uh, for me at least, Google is one of the standout winners. Microsoft is the one that sadly got away, for me at least. Oh. Uh, just did not anticipate that Satya Nadella could turn around this business to such an amazing extent to the way he has. I think the OpenAI investment just quote-unquote just for $10 billion, unbelievable, right? It just completely reshaped the way uh, the startup ecosystem, engineers, everyone looks at this company. And that just means you start getting the best talent. And that might not show in your bottom line over the next quarter or the next six months or even a year, right? But if you look back at what Google was doing, say, 10 years ago, it could attract the best talent that could in turn create the best product, the best service, etc. So these are very long-term motions that take place right now. And you set up the companies for success by being at the forefront of this cutting-edge technology. Awesome overview, Arun. Really, really uh, edge-of-seat stuff. Listen, I need to get your views on Elon Musk. Everybody's been talking about how Twitter is no longer. It's now become X. Um, It's getting rid of the bird logo. People are up in arms. It took 15 years to build that brand. Elon (laughs) Musk has now come out to say, listen, X 
is not just about a brand change. It will have the ability to conduct your entire financial world. Uh, and since he is among the people who owns ChatGPT, sort of thing, the guy seems to know something some of the time. <laughs> what do you think about Musk rebranding Twitter? Look, I mean, uh, call it uh, having been personally burned on uh, the Tesla short that I've been uh, very transparent about uh, on your show. <laughs> Elon Musk is someone special, right? Uh, like hats off to the person to get Tesla to where it is right now. And if you see what he's doing, this whole concept of super app, right? It never existed in the US or in the Western world hmm. until China suddenly came up with this concept. And it just completely reshaped the way an individual in the Chinese ecosystem lived. It's truly revolutionary, right? Uh, if yeah. you've ever gone to China recently, you better be plugged into WeChat and to some extent Alibaba's network. Otherwise, you're basically an outsider. Hmm. What I think in the US, because of the strength of incumbent in each and every single vertical. Uh, there was never any, maybe the need, but the, it just couldn't shape up in any certain way because the incumbents in each side had already like captured the consumer interest over there. So that being said though, so, so A, I think for a super app to exist in the US, and we've kind of seen that in Singapore also, right? I mean, Grab is trying its level best, but if you look at it, it's still like one or two verticals that basically make up most of Grab's revenue and everything else is just a little bit of a fluffiness around the corner. Because again, Singapore was developed for many years. Uh, it had strong incumbents in each vertical. The US, I mean, if anyone can truly create a disruptive segment, I would place my bet on Elon Musk, but the odds of that itself are very slim. But hey, you know, electric cars in the US, who would have thought about it, right? So yet the guy managed to pull it off. But yeah, so that, that, that's my overall thought. Uh, uh, no like particular that. strong comment either way, but respect the guy for at least trying. I like that. Thanks for helping us understand that this could be about this whole idea of a super app. And this could be about, and we hear this echoed as well. I was looking at the uh, Twitter CEO message to staff. I was reading that note about the rebrand and she said this is about the company having an inventor mindset and um, moving forward how they plan to develop experiences in video, audio, messaging, banking and payments. So this all, all falls into place with that super app that you were talking about, um, overall umbrella sort of concept. So thank you for that, Arun. Um, Thanks a lot for having me, Michelle. Oh my goodness, what a great conversation today. As always, he is Arun Pai Investments Team, Monks Hill Ventures. My brain is just turning, all the wheels are turning for all the um, new concepts that have just come up for me that could go into other shows, I have to say. Arun, have a great day ahead. Thank you, you too. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.